0: Welcome to Two Spines, this is David and Mark, and uh, we're getting started this week on Genesis 4. And I wanted to take a a minute just because I have been going back and listening to our own podcast, and it occurs to me that you possibly may be wondering occasionally, what are these guys doing with all this blank space, and I hear these pages turning and stuff. I just wanted to remind you what we started with as an original premise was to sit here and I would use the tools that I wouldn't usually use in my kitchen. I'm doing Bible study, <laughs> yeah, just like I would at home. Mark is doing the same tools using the same tools that he uses here in his office to do Bible study, just like he does here in his office. We're just sitting here for the first time together, ever doing it in live time, yeah, so
1: i mean we we've we've gone to pizza and have just had different discussions, not necessarily dealing with scripture versus ver- scripture and scripture, but just general ideas and things that we've read. Yeah, just, I mean, just, just conversation. hanging out So this is kind of the first time we decided, kind of stuff. yeah, that we kind of are digging him more and and having that conversation like we would at pizza. Yeah,
0: so, yeah. So I just wanted to say that because I realize when I listen to us, I know what we're doing, but it may be pretty annoying as a listener not seeing what we're <laughs> <right>. doing. <laughs> so, but like I said, just again, we're just studying the Bible in live time. Uh, that's why I may look at him and say, "Hey, look at this word." I don't know what that means, but it's interesting. And then we go on and we don't explain it because we're not, you know, sitting here with every explanation that we've gotten ready before. We're just trying our best to make sure we have as many explanations as possible.
1: I try to edit a lot of that space, (laughs) but I don't want it to make like no sense where it's like, let me look at this. Okay, here it is. (laughs) Like, you know, right into the scripture. So, there is some editing done, but I mean, for the most yeah. part, it, we do take our time looking. Because so. it takes
0: a while to find Nahum and Obadiah. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, so. uh,
1: Well, like, kind of before, we're on Genesis yeah. chapter four. And kind of before we get into Genesis chapter four, I think one thing that we, I don't know if we've tackled it or said much about it, but um, while it's important to, to study verse by verse and to get. Um, you know, you don't take verses outside of a thought, but it's good to go by verse by verse, yeah, and then look at the paragraph, and look at the chapter, and the context, right. and all that stuff. And try to um, figure out the
0: entire book and where it fits in actual history, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and then yeah. there are there are also things that um, I think me and David both are, there are doctrines or beliefs that um, just by doing Bible study, you can't get around. It's it's black and white. It's completely evident. Um, we both agree scripture interprets scripture no matter yeah. um, what a commentary says or no matter what a preacher says. People can always twist things, so it's always good to go back to the Bible.
0: And, and doctrines right or wrong, if you just read the Bible, the Bible, <laughs> Bible will fix your bad doctrines and get rid of them or force you to face them. Yeah. Or the Bible will reinforce your right doctrine and just let you know you're on the right path and you're thinking that way. So just read it.
1: Yeah. And I think at some point we'll take a break just from book study and kind of talk about doctrines in the church. I think it's important. I mean, yeah, we'll see. We'll see yeah. where we go with some things, but <laughs> we'll we'll get through Genesis first. Um, but, with you know, chapter four, it almost it leaves a lot of uh, gaps that I don't think have exact answers.
0: What in the world do you mean? We'll,
1: we'll get there, <laughs> and so like I have, you know, I looked at it and I said, "Man, I, I looked and studied and couldn't really." F- I look and there's some answers that commentaries give. Like I said, you know, there's a few things I wrote down that various commentaries said that I'm like, "Eh, I don't really like this answer. I don't. I I, j- I just don't. I,
0: you don't I think don't. you don't mean you don't like it? You mean it doesn't really satisfy no. your question about it? Right. It's like, well, there's another answer I can add to the list of twelve or fifteen I've read and none of them really satisfy me like they're really the answer.
1: Yeah. Just the good guesses. Like Japheth, which we will get into in a couple of chapters, but there's you know these beliefs that are in commentaries or people say to kinda you know, hey, it's not as bad as we think, it's not as bad as what the Bible says, but it doesn't really satisfy me because the Bible kind of says some things pretty clearly. Japheth Noah's son. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah. I just want to be aware. There's some things that we'll talk about that I think are black and white, and there are some things that I think we'll discuss that uh, you might like our theory and might might like what we're saying and it makes sense to you. But again, uh, we encourage everyone go look at the Bible yourself. Um, we don't have the an we don't have all the answers, and um, you know, all the pastors don't have all the answers. So it's important. Hey. Go open the Bible yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to kind of teach you and to help you reveal things. And um and that's what it's all about is just really wanting to know God, not necessarily being a know-it-all, but knowing, wanting to know God and yeah. knowing who he is. And that's a part of this uh, stage. So I just want to say, before we get into chapter four, there are some things that there's theory, like the mark we'll get into. Yeah. Um, there's theories and so forth. So.
0: No, so before we get into chapter four, I want to go back to chapter three. <laughs> okay, not 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 literally into chapter three, but I was just looking through. uh, uh have several different uh, translations, etc. This one is the Jewish Study Bible, uh, featuring the Jewish Publication Society. So that I have a Tanakh also, which is the Jewish, uh, or the, excuse me, the Hebrew language uh, Old Testament. And in the second column on the, the other side of the page is English. It's the Jewish Publication Society translation I just referred to as the JPS. This other one I have here, this Jewish study Bible, features the JPS translation, but then also has uh, the same thing as a study Bible you have. It just has Mishnah and Talmud notes mm. all around it, all around the, the the box that is Scripture, the notes themselves at the bottom of the page are uh, rabbinic writing, et cetera. So some of those thoughts, that's why I wanted to bounce back for a second. So we cap off chapter three. We have man fall, uh, falling into sin, becoming separated from God. Man tries to cover his own sin. Remember we talked about the the covering of the garment that he tried to de- try to use. Right. It's uh, covering sin by his own effort when God showed up. And God says, what? Nope. That's <laughs> not going to work, Adam. Get yeah. out of here. Get out of my garden. Get out of my presence. Why? Because Adam sinned. Adam tried to cover his own sin. God says no. It doesn't work. So, with that in mind, that's that's obvious in the text to all of us. Right. With that in mind, we go back and look. And one of my my uh, let's see. I think it was Mishnah. Either way, I, I'm not going to go through every single one of those because. Uh, throughout this book, I have noticed there are umpteen different uh, little letter significations, and you turn to the very front to see if it's from the Babylonian Talmud or whatever. <laughs> so, this one is noted. I went ahead and wrote my notes so I could speak a little bit faster on it. This one is noted according to the Bavabatra. Um, in Judaism's oral law, the third part is divided into parts. The third parts called the Nezikin. The Ezekiel is divided in three parts the Bhavakama, Bhavametsiya, and the Bhavabhatra. So, this particular part is from the Bhavabhatra, and it deals with uh, th- this quote that I'm about to give you, deals with civil matters, and it's related to land ownership. So, this is the note that just happens to come from uh, at the end of chapter three in this commentary book. The actual Bhavabhatra quotation is the Holy One, blessed be He, created. The evil inclination. He created Torah as its antidote. Hmm. So the Baba Batra is saying this is old, you know, Hebrew commentary on the scripture, and it's saying uh that God actually created the evil inclination in us, but he created the Torah as an antidote, meaning it's the fix for the sickness. Right. So the note that's added here, the uh, the JSB Jewish Study Bible notes say. In Judaism, the estrangement caused by the innate human appetite for evil does not require an act of messianic redemption to be healed. Rather, the practice and study of Torah renew intimacy with the God of Israel and lead to eternal life. That very long quote, but the practice and study of Torah make the intimacy and the relationship with God renewed and it leads you to eternal life. We don't need a Messiah to do something for us, is what they say. Huh. But the, the funny thing is, if you're reading the Torah, if you go past, <laughs> if you go anywhere past uh, chapter three of Genesis, you start getting into sacrifices. Why? <laughs> but before you end chapter three, Adam's done something wrong. Yeah. He, and he realizes that he has guilt in himself and he tries to cover himself, and God says that's not good enough. In the rest of the Torah, all of Moses' five books is about giving us a sacrificial system, which is required by God. Yeah. So I would say just the fact that Moses even wrote this stuff down kicks the bababathra out the window in the ditch and keeps on driving.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: <laughs> it's also, this is something I had texted you one day because uh, it had in the bababathra, a little bit that I looked up and read, uses the term uh, or the phrase joint owners of property may such and such. Yeah. So do you think Adam was a joint owner or a steward of
1: okay You
0: I'm, I'm yeah. asking
1: me? Yeah. Oh, I believe he was a steward. I don't I don't know if he was a joint. I think God owned every obviously God owns everything, but um back to <laughs> we've we've shared it in several uh podcasts already is um The reflection, the parallelism of heaven and earth. Yeah. Uh, You know, God has dominion over heaven, the place he chooses, like the tabernacle, so to speak. The real tabernacle. Yeah. And the earth, I say tabernacle, the earth is ours, we're to be a steward, we're to God's still king, but we have authority over everything here. We're his
0: representative face here on this material plane. Right. Yeah. So that's what I think. Yeah. So let's see. Um, I wrote down a lot of stuff in my notes right there just for that because I wanted it for myself later on. We have to go back through all of it. I am going to hit a couple of uh, scriptures just because it, uh, honestly, it proves my point.
1: Before we get into chapter four, technically. Right,
0: right. So uh, just proving the point that you have to keep all the law. You have to take care of the law situation because God put it out there and he says, I don't accept what you're doing to cover your own stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: So you break this is,
1: one, you break them all.
0: Right. Which is what we're going to get to that. But yeah. starting with Moses, uh, Deuteronomy six twenty four, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes that He might preserve us alive. There's a, a there's a hinge there. The hinge is you do all the statutes of the law. The other side of the hinge is that He might preserve you alive. So eternal life is hinged on whether or not you keep all the law. Uh, Deuteronomy six twenty five next verse and it will be righteousness for us. So if we keep all the statutes, it will be righteousness for us. If we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He commands us. So and I think you were quoting James two ten there a second ago right. Mm-hmm. So if we jump to uh, New Testament James two ten. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Um, I always say if you break a law, you're a lawbreaker. If you sin a sin, you are a sinner. Yeah. It's there's no uh, qualification of levels there. It's just <laughs> yeah. you are a sinner. Okay, you're on this side of the fence. That's it. Right. Uh, let's see Galatians two fourteen, a little bit out of fourteen fifteen and sixteen. If you and this is. Paul, I think addressing uh, Peter primarily or, or, or quoting what he said to Peter. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified or counted righteous by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believe, we also, excuse me, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Paul runs it in the ground right there that the law does not make yeah. you righteous; Jesus Christ makes you righteous, and that uh, whoever you want to say it is, if you're if you're Jewish and you don't agree that Jesus is the is the Messiah, you don't agree that Jesus actually died for your sins some of the explanation that we have here, Paul and his education that he had and who he was educated by.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, a highly respected Gamaliel, a highly respected Pharisee of the council at that time is able to stand up at one point and it's recorded in scripture for us. He stands up and gives a reasoning that is against everybody's popular opinion, but he's giving a logical, true reason. Everybody just shuts up because it's true.
1: Yeah,
0: This is, this is a well-respected mm-hmm. man. A great teacher, this is the man who taught Paul, and Paul goes with the Old Testament, brings it back out, brings the points out, and says, hey, nobody's justified by the law, really. We need a Messiah. (laughs) So whether you agree Jesus was the Messiah or not, you need an anointed one that the Scriptures was predicting would come.
1: I mean, you need someone to deal with the sin. Right. Because you're not going to keep all the law. Yeah. And doesn't Jesus say, you know, God can turn any of these stones into a son of Abraham? Yeah, and I mean Jesus for the most part. I mean, I think he was this is a,
0: John the Baptist because I always it? want to quote it as Jesus when I go look it up as John the Baptist. Okay, well, I think
1: <laughs> one of the two, but I mean they were both. Uh, while they were questioned by the Pharisees, they were also respected by the Pharisees. Both Jesus and John the Baptist yeah. were saying, "Yeah." So it's not just um, we're attacking Jews or people who don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but um, people that Paul was learned in the Jewish culture and Jesus appeared to him and. I mean, even the other disciples were fearful of Paul because he thought they were blaspheming God. And yeah. uh, so he was, you know, let's put a nick in this. And so for Paul to change in his whole concept of the Old Testament and his commentary, so to speak, on the Old Testament, I mean.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess you could call the whole New Testament his commentary. Yeah. That would be Paul's Mishnah. Never had thought of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Paul's Talmud. <clears throat> let's see. uh One or two more here to bring us back to Deuteronomy again. The shift of focus of faith was angled over towards Christ after he was revealed, but before faith in in Christ, he was a person reckoned righteous. Edit that out. I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Actually, it's kind of funny here because I say Paul's New Testament commentary on the Old Testament declares Abraham believed God, and it was counted righteousness to him. Uh, Romans four three, Galatians three six, James two twenty three, James it two. But uh, so the inheritance came to Abraham before the law. The promise of the inheritance came to Abraham before the law. He was counted righteous by God yeah. because he believed God, not because he kept the law.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Anyway, just uh, the, all that right there just kind of ran me through the Baba Batra's legal balance dealing with joint owner properties has nothing to do with Adam in the Garden of Eden. Hmm. Has nothing. And, and the uh, Hoover's explanation is right, is, is right here of the old Baba Batra writing when they say, oh, this means we don't need a Messiah Act. We're flat wrong. No. Flat wrong by Moses to begin with. Hmm. So. Let's see. Okay, so the reason I want to go back and look at that little Mishnah note there is it comes at the end of the notes at the end of chapter three. What do we get next? Bam! Murder. Okay, there you go. (laughs) So we come through this whole deal, creation all the way to the end of getting kicked out of the garden, trying to cover our own sin, and then this this Mishnah interpretation says, oh, we don't need a Messiah. And it only... Snowball's worse <laughs> by the next chapter starts out with two guys killing one and killing the other,
1: and it just gets worse from here for the most part,
0: up right to today, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know the first thing that I looked at when I looked at verse one uh was the na- was there's a debate which I wasn't aware of with Cain's name. Have you heard of are you aware <laughs> of <laughs> hadn't the heard the debate? debate,
0: but I did get two completely different uh uh, directions of, I guess you would call them roots for the name Cain. So what'd you got?
1: I looked, uh, I think the Hebrew looks to be to acquire, to create, or to purchase a, a piece of property.
0: Yeah, so what's the debate?
1: Side? The debate is there is a Aramaic term from a root word that's very similar to the Hebrew word, and it means metal worker.
0: Okay, I think there may be some interesting, uh, keep that in the back of your mind for sure, because I think when we get into his descendants in a minute, yeah, yeah, so
1: it's just, I kind of lean towards the Hebrew definition to acquire, to create, to purchase property. I'm kind of lean more towards that, but
0: I would lean toward that because of what Eve even names him that for. She says, Hey, I got a man. Yeah. I, I acquired a man. I made a man. Look at this. But, uh. I thought you were going to say maybe it's maybe it's pointing the same direction as the metalworking stuff. Kayin, his his name would also be Kayin spear. It's the same exact huh. word, spear. So if I, I guess I picture first a spear as a wooden stick, if it has a metal-made head, like a metal right. tip on it, you could say yeah, it's a metalworking object. Huh. But the uh, the root Kana, is to get to acquire to possess in different ways. So I don't have any
1: yeah,
0: I don't have any beef against that for sure, but cayenne happens to be i guess if you remember we talked about trying to figure out how to link some of them like we tried to link uh how do you link uh naked and uh, (laughs) stealthy or what was the other word Uh, the serpent was crafty right those two words we kind of figured it out later on as we kept reading and it showed up again hey adam uh who told you you were naked (laughs) yeah so Either way, go back and listen to the one before this one, I believe, and you'll find yeah, what we're yeah. talking about. Uh, but a spear it, would get mm. if you threw it at the animal you're aiming at, it would get you some food. You would acquire the food, you would possess it. So I could see a
1: Yeah.
0: This this spear is the getter. <laughs> get the getter, we're gonna go out and get something. <laughs> I'm hungry.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, verse two, uh, and again, a God gave an increase of Childbearing and and Abel came and then it says Abel was a keeper of the sheep or a shepherd, and Cain uh basically worked the ground. Mm. Um, I got some more interesting things, but uh, I think we'll we'll spin back around as we get into chapter four.
0: So do you look at for the meaning of Abel? Breath. Yeah. Yeah. Breath or uh, Hebel comes from Habel all means to become vain or to call someone or to cause to become vain to fill with vain hopes. It's almost one of the things I was wondering like we talked about uh maybe two podcasts ago that this guy named Zeb was killed at the rock of Zeb did his mom and dad name him Zeb, and him he happened to be killed on a rock called Zeb, or was the rock named Zeb because he was killed there, and his name was already zeb so my <laughs> the back back up and loop that over the point on this one is was his name. Hebel from the beginning? Or did it seem like Adam and Eve maybe renamed him or retitled him as that was vain hope. That child we had is gone. He doesn't right. live now. That was a vain hope. So hmm. or did they name him Hebel and Habel, the verb that's related to it, became known as vain hope later. Right. I I'm just throwing that out there, I don't know.
1: Like, like you know, we talk about going out there sometimes, just stretching yeah. a little bit. When I looked at the definition name, I thought, you know, Cain means to create and able means breath. And the way God created us was through his breath. So almost felt like that's a sentence in a sense that um, God created us with his breath and he's creating, he's continuing to create with breath. That- of
0: course, these are sons of... Adam and Eve, meaning that he made Adam and Eve to be images of himself or representatives of himself. And he's given us creativeness like he has, intelligence like he has, uh, I would say to some, really and truly to some form, a body like he has. And Messiah, he has presently right now an eternal physical body. We resemble that because he was born like one of us. So in this sense, maybe, uh, yeah, God has given this yeah, it's a man I mean, to keep doing by breath and
1: yeah, because like I said, we'll get back in chapter four. But the reason why I said that was, um, obviously most people know the story about Cain killing Abel, which we'll get into. But um, the reason why I said that is when did that happen? But yeah, I'm <laughs> running for you, aren't you? Aren't right. I? Um, is that breath dies and the creation lives, and I thought that that was our choice to not need the tree of life anymore but to do it our own way, to create our own destiny. Like I said, it's a little far-fetched, but...
0: um, I'd have to to think about that for a little bit, really.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's fine. I mean, those are just thoughts that came to my mind again. I'm stretching a little bit, but anyway.
0: Okay, so this is the first shepherd, by the way, in the Bible.
1: Yes. And not the first person to keep grounds.
0: No? Uh, Okay, so... I really want to get into uh, verse three here. <laughs> <laughs> well, three through what about six, maybe?
1: Start at three.
0: Okay. Uh, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Go, you
1: gonna read the second the but,
0: but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. What
1: do you think? What would you come up with? Well, I thought of some interesting things. Like I said, I'm I'm not looking at commentaries. Um, basically, what I'll do is kind of study my own and then say, okay, i got my own thoughts, my own theories. I've studied. Um, I'm curious what other guys have looked at, which was interesting for me to find out that... Um, commentators have thought about the same ideas I have, but they lean more towards one over the other, but they don't really have evidence so um,
0: it's what I think i uh, it's the best I can come up with kind of thing,
1: yeah, yeah, um so first the in the course of time uh to me was interesting uh, it can mean destination, end, or a border uh the Hebrew word so um in a designated time came wrought so apparently there is this as we as we read and, and as sacrifices become more developed and understood, um there is a time appointed for sacrifice. For sacrifices. Yeah. Um so I thought it was a kind of interesting choice that in the course of time almost means like a designated time. God appointed a certain time for a sacrifice to be made.
0: The same word that is used for all of Moses' feast. It's the Mm -hmm. same word that is used for appointed time or appointed meeting, moed. So the moed of Moses is the same thing as we're going to make a moed next week and go out for dinner to eat whatever, some spaghetti or something. Uh, Well,
1: the, the fruit of the ground, I thought, you know, fruit grows on trees. Is this old fruit that has fallen on the ground and is no longer ripe? So did Cain just pick it off the ground and say, okay, Here's my offering. So was it not as good? Um, uh, did Cain take some uh, fruit before he actually offered it to the Lord, or um, is uh, is God a, is God wanting a specific sacrifice and not a fruit offering, but a uh, an animal offering, an animal sacrifice? Yeah. So there's those three thoughts that I had. Most people lean. Um, more towards uh, basically it was uh, just Cain's attitude, Cain's heart. It had nothing to do with the nature of the sacrifice, meaning it, what, it wasn't because God wasn't pleased with him bringing the grain and the fruit as opposed to Abel's animal sacrifice and it wasn't necessarily that Cain picked it off the ground and didn't give it the best choice of fruit. It was just Cain's attitude in the whole thing, so just a few thoughts that um i thought and and my other question, which never has been answered, is what kind of offering is here? There's so many different kinds of offerings we find out through Moses
0: that's what I got into so
1: so those are all my thoughts on verse yeah. three it's It's kind of a lot, but uh any
0: i probably go through a lot to get to my answer, but...
1: <laughs> That's good. That's good, though.
0: What I followed was, the word here is mincha. And a mincha is a gift, offering, sacrifice. Strong's even says it's a meat offering. I have a difference of opinion on that. We'll get to that, and it's going to reveal itself. Or a grain offering. So, gift, offering, sacrifice, grain offering. And this Leviticus uh, 1 and 2 and 3, I believe. I'll discuss... Uh, peace offerings, sin offerings, grain offerings. So so to follow, and basically this is all I did, is just follow the word mincha through the scripture to see what it's related to. And I thought, this is law. This is kind of what we want to know about in this situation. So I only followed mincha through the Torah to find out what mincha is really. Because for the most part right here, the first time it's mentioned, it is Cain giving to God. So Cain gives Minka to God. What is it? He brings vegetable, plant life, fruit. So Abel, and I think there's something here, maybe, maybe we're all looking over. I have looked over it and never noticed this. We'll come back to this because it's the, it's the the punchline of the explanation, really. So skipping over Abel, it it appears in Abel's that it is a meat offering. And at first I wrote down uh, Cain to God. Bad offering equals bad motive. Able to God, good offering equals good motive. Minka shows up with Jacob to Esau. Remember, he's uh, Mm -hmm. at uh, Machanaim, spending the night. He wrestles with God, and then he sends his four wives and four sets of children with gifts. And uh, some of these things in the gifts are wagons full of Minka. Some of them are flocks, but the mincha is in most all of these right here. What I kept finding throughout the Torah is that mincha is separated from other types of offerings. So mm-hmm. uh, Israel to Joseph see, that's Genesis 43. So he's basically telling his sons, um, I think this is when they've come back and they find that their uh, their gold was back in the top of their bags and their, their bags are full of grain. Their gold's back on top of it. Israel sends them back to Joseph, not knowing it's Joseph, but he sends them back and sends a good offering with them, and that's uh, mincha is one of the things there. So the consecration, mincha comes up in the consecration of the priest in Exodus 29. There is, number one, a mincha, which is a grain offering. It is served with a lamb. That's not a mincha. It's, it's got a whole different word. We're not going to curse every single word here because I don't want to get lost in 100 Hebrew words. Mm. I just want to follow the minka. Sure. Minka is offered with a lamb, with a drink offering. That's not a minka. And it's offered with a uh, an offering by fire, which is not a minka. All these things are offered uh, to consecrate a priest. Exodus 29. Altar of incense. Incense only. And some of the directions there are no minka, no grain offering. Is to show up on the altar of incense. No strange or unauthorized incense. No burnt offerings, meaning no animal flesh that has been burnt, and no drink offerings. No wine should be poured on the altar of incense. Uh, first time setting up up. Okay, the first time they set up the tent of meeting at the end of Exodus. You can you can look at the months and the days that are mentioned there. I want to say it's. 13 days or 14 days before the second Passover. But either way, let's see, here it is. It's 13 days early from the second Passover. In that, uh, the mincha is offered with a burnt offering, which means that the mincha is not a burnt offering. Burnt offering is an animal, it's flesh. The mincha is a grain. Leviticus (coughs) 2, the grain offering is called mincha. Leviticus 4, a sin offering at the end of a long list of unintentional sins. The Minkai is offered with them at the long list end. Now the list is, number one, you offer a bull for a anointed priest that's, that sins. And when he realizes it, he's supposed to take a bull and have it sacrificed for his sin. Uh, there is a bull for the whole congregation. If the whole congregation ends up doing a big sin, then we're talking about like a community as a culture. If they all do it, that's equal to the priest, basically, and they have to, to offer a bull also. Then there is a goat for a leader, and this would be like a leader of a tribe or a leader of a clan or a family. If he's saying he's supposed to bring a male goat. For an individual or a commoner, you have a female goat or a female lamb. If you're really poor, you you bring two turtle doves or pigeons.
1: Right. If you're
0: even more poor, you bring a minka. Like, I can't afford to actually buy an animal. I'm just bringing a grain offering. So that just just separates the whole time we're going. Uh, Leviticus 14, in a ceremony for anointing leopards, Minka is separated from the rest of the the offerings. Leviticus 23, uh, Pentecost. Basically, we're looking back. Leviticus 23 is the Moses' feast again and the minka there is, is a separated idea from other kinds. Numbers 4, the responsibilities of Eleazar, is the oil for the lamp, incense, anointing oil, and the minka. Hmm. He's supposed to take care of all those different things. Uh, let's see. Numbers 28 and 29. I did go for a moment, because 28 and 29 also go back through uh, some feast and holy days. <clears throat> And the the minka is mentioned as the daily offering or or part of the daily offering, which is morning and evening. It is not the only offering there. There's burnt offerings, too, and and live offerings like lambs or whatever. Sabbath offering is next. Monthly offering, which is every new moon. Every Passover, you have minka offerings. This is beside living things. Minka offerings uh, go along with the first fruits, which is another feast. The day of trumpets the Day of Atonement, and every day of Sukkot. There is some kind of live offering and Minka.
1: Hmm.
0: Minka is not a lamb of the first flock, which brings us back to Genesis 4. I
1: was going to say, can I play devil's advocate for a second? Yeah, do it. Okay. (laughs) I don't don't know if I've ever played devil's advocate with David before. (laughs) We're going to find out how how he does. (laughs) Um, But as you read that, I'm thinking, you know, obviously, Scripture interprets Scripture. We know that um, i'm going to i'm going to kind of go before genesis 5 and on through the bible exists um we know adam and eve sinned and we know god sacrificed animals and covered them as a, as we know atonement for blood without the shedding of blood there's no remission for sin okay we understand that which is you're <laughs> quoting new testament i know I, I know <laughs> i know but i'm going through I'm, I'm 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 there's a point there's a reason why um so we understand god's and a pattern here. We, yeah. we we talked about God there's a pattern. So when Cain and Abel um are born, the only sin that has happened that we know of is just the disobedience of God. God covers them um with a sacrifice. So as far as we know, there I think there's two sacrifices that can be that are possible in Genesis 4, I believe. And that's a thanksgiving offering just uh thanking I, I
0: have it and I want to give it. Yeah. Yeah
1: and the second is for sin and again this is pre this is the only sin that we know of so far is um Adam and Eve eating the fruit and God covered that sin so one if if God covered that sin would they need to make a sacrifice again for that sin wouldn't it be more of a thanksgiving offering uh and number 2 there's no altar mentioned i'm not saying there is no altar but is there is based on going through scripture and sacrifice, you've done more sacrifice studies than I have. Is it possible to do a sacrifice with no altar? And and what are your thoughts about the Thanksgiving offering as opposed as the offering given here?
0: Because I'm still going to stick with, I'm glad you really brought that up because I I really, that affirms to me, I'm sticking with my original uh, interpretation of what's going on here. <laughs> uh, that, that's easy that way. <laughs> so Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. Correct. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Doesn't say how he gave it to God. Doesn't right. say he burned it. Doesn't even say he killed it. it. Just says he brought it to God. Like, uh, almost you've got a picture here of God standing there in some kind of form and he knows Mm -hmm. where to go to or maybe maybe he's thought of an offering but for the most part you're right there's no off there's no altar mentioned
1: we know that's possible that the form of jesus can be here because he's walking he's been walking he's been with so we understand yeah
0: yeah Uh, and we discussed that in the last podcast is that adam and eve hung out with the trinity all three are mentioned there in in the wording right in a way we do know that god uh in the judgments, starting at Genesis three, fourteen, when he judges the serpent, Genesis sixteen, when he judges the woman, Genesis seventeen, when he judges the man. Let's see, just wondering if we read through that, what kind of trickle-down effect does God in uh inform them that is going to happen into their their offspring? Because you listen to the voice of the woman, you have eaten for the tree, which I commend you. You shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. Okay, so here's one thing. He is saying, Curses the ground because of you. So it's not like a one-time sacrifice. We'll go back to normal. It is. Here's something that's going to stay. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So he is saying this curse is going to affect your future. He has already told, God's already told Eve, you're going to give childbirth. You're going to give birth to children in pain. Yeah, he's changing right. future for all three of these characters who are involved here. Yeah. He's saying something's gonna happen and trickle down from this. Right. <clears throat> Let's see. He also says you were dust into dust dust you shall return. So he is telling them there is now death. There's physical death. Right. I'm gonna guess that Adam and Eve probably had kids and told them what happened. It's the only history there is.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they got nothing else to talk about <laughs> if they're gonna tell them uh if they're going to tell them what's going on, there's nothing else to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. So they're saying, Hey, uh, God made everything. He made all the uh, animals and stuff. He made us. And then he let us name them. And then we used to hang out with them. And then there's this one talking snake that came along and here's the trouble that happened. And then we got kicked out and God did a sacrifice to cover us. We try to use leaves. Right. You can, I guess you can point back at that too, is Adam and Eve may have said, Uh, We don't really understand why. Let's say they don't. They may have said to Cain and Abel, we don't understand why. We try to cover ourselves with leaves. We try to use plants. And God said that's not good enough. And God used animal skins. All right. So the children may, we're thinking theoretical here or conjecturally, that they should have understood to some point that some relationship with God now requires an animal involved, not just plant life. I'm going solely on the mention of their clothing right. choices. I,
1: I kind of wonder if Adam and Eve uh just yeah. assumed, well, that God did this, this is what we should do or if God told them um, you know, sacrifice must be made to appease to appease your sin and you know what I mean, like how did they get this idea of a sacrifice? I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> my 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 theory is God probably spoke to them. I mean, they had that kind of communication then, and there's no written word. Yeah,
0: there's no written word. I do think we could probably go on that and say, down through time, we're talking Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, on and on. God is still talking to man. There's a little bit less relationship, less relationship, less relationship as we go. But he is talking to them. So this is the second generation period. (laughs) right? So here's what I found to be the kicker to me. The minka is always offered with other kinds of offerings and it is distinctively then a grain offering uh without getting into what kind of grain offering because i did do some research on that and god requires uh here's the word cain brought a minka but the lord the law says the lord requires a reshit bekoror or bekur and the reshit is the same word as the very first word of the bible It's the beginning the first. Right. The first fruit. He wants the very first thing. The problem is that we just <coughs> talked about is Cain didn't have this. He didn't have the law. He did bring some kind of offering. But so here's where, the, where I thought the kicker was. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. <laughs> Abel brought me zono. The me part is that that best part, that first Okay, so he brought the first of his flock and their fat portions. We have things here that are living, being offered to God. Right. Doesn't say he killed them, doesn't say God consumed them by fire, just says he offered that first. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his Minka. Minkah in no other place in the entire Torah is a meat offering. Hmm. Abel brought. Firstborn of his flocks, living things, their fat portions, and God, we had regard for him and his minka. So his he the only thing different between Cain and Abel is that Abel brought a lamb first, and then he brought minka grain offerings. Cain just brought grain offerings
1: only. Well, that's I'm I'm the least person to deal with English, but obviously three, four, and five are. A collection of thought dealing with the offerings. So verse four says, or verse three, um, came brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. The part that gets me is verse four. It says, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. To me, it almost seems like because you're using the word and, it also, Abel also brought of the firstborn. Doesn't it kind of imply that Cain brought the firstborn? I mean, it just seems. No, um,
0: and that's why I wanted to search out this word, not to me. Yeah, that's yeah. That's why yeah. I want to search out this word, Minka, because both of them brought Minka. Abel brought a Bekarot, Zono. Uh, zono is sheep, Zono, his sheep. He brought the, the firstborn of his sheep. So we have, you're right, and is there in the English, but I want to look at one thing right here just to say it. So verse 4 starts out, uh, and in the Hebrew it's just ve, which is and. Right. Let's see, looking through. Ve, again. Yeah, ve, again for his uh, other part. So in the English, in my, my ESV translation, we, grammatically, you're not supposed to start an English sentence with and. Yeah. Grammatically, you're not supposed to start it with but. Any conjunction is supposed to be to conjunct back to something. Right. But um, what's there is not. There's no period. <laughs> there's no period there in, in the Hebrew. So,
1: A, one, I think I think it's strange that if Cain did bring first fruit. Firstborn, whatever you want to call it, of his fruit of the ground. I do think it would, if it is a sentence talking about Cain and Abel and the relationship with the offering, I would say that that should have been said first. Cain brought the first fruit of his, of the of the fruit from the ground, and Abel also brought. His prized portion of...
0: I should say this. There is no word for the concept of first in the Hebrew for Cain's offering. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. Mifri uh, is fruit. Ha'adamah, which we all know by now is just the ground. Minka ladonai. Minka just grain offering to the Lord. There's nothing there about the concept of first. So, some if your translate if your English translation says he brought an offering, he brought some fruit. The generality of that, the the uh, what's what's the term?
1: Because I mean, uh, you can't bring a I mean, a seed is technically a firstborn of the fruit. Yeah. So
0: yeah. But there's no concept there at all for first. It's just he brought some. It's not specific like he gotcha. brought the first one. I have looked at this in the past, and I basically, without doing word study, thought to myself, it looks like he simply brought some stuff. <laughs> yeah. And Abel's like, I want to take God the best one. That's the that's the feeling of what I get right here when I'm reading it from how the how the grammar comes across to me. Like Cain just said, um, I I got 12 apples. Here's one. I'll take him this one. I really don't care which one. I'm just going to give him one. <laughs> kind of that attitude. Yeah, point pointed attitude, but I'm also going to point out uh, in Abel's, in the sentence about Abel, he has, uh, the God, uh, the Lord has regard for Abel and his offering. Offering there is minka. It doesn't say that was a first minka. That was just some, but the firstborn that he brought was a live living thing. And there's no concept of first attached to Cain's minka. So that it gets sense. deeper. Oh, okay. I got, I got I got a good one here. <laughs> the Lord had regard. The the verb for have regard is sha. Means to look at or to have regard, to gaze at or to behold. The particular way it happens to be conjugated right here is vayasha. Va is just and so it's leading back into a new thought. You're in a narrative. Va is leading into a new thought, so the verb itself is conjugated for. He regarded, being the Lord, Yesha. Yesha is the verb for to save. In fact, this same word, vayishah, is translated in Job 5.15 as, but he saves, and it's referring to the Lord. So it's not far off to think that uh, Shaa and yesha are, re- are regard and save. God looks at us and regards us. He has regard for us. He saves us. So in this sense, uh, and and then uh, on the flip side of that, Cain was lo sha'a, lo is not. It's the same as we've discussed in the past where, like Spanish verbs, you put no in front of the verb, it just means it didn't happen then. Yeah. He is not sha'a. So Abel was saved, Cain was not. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> it is kind of a, I mean, of course we're not calling them Christian and and non-Christian, but it is kind of right. a, a early look at. Some are saved and some are not. One brought a lamb and he is saved.
1: Yeah. Uh, going going on verse 5, uh, the word fell in Hebrew could also refer to to be inferior to. So that was kind of interesting. Because that's about Cain's face fell. Uh, Cain felt inferior to Abel because of what just took place.
0: Yeah, that's good. I
1: so, thought it was a little interesting play on words.
0: The word fail there also is Nafal. Nafal is the root word for the Nephilim. They were the fallen ones. So I didn't mean to touch on that too no, soon. No,
1: no, that's, that's chapter six. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry, kiddies. We got some special for you that night. I, some special candy. Dude, I that, that's that's going to be a long episode. I have a feeling. It might be, yeah. Uh... That might be a two-parter, or you might just have a four-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. uh, So... We we kind of dealt with three verses five. Uh, any other thoughts as we kind of move on to verse six? Uh,
0: just for the wording of it, just to make it simple, I I, mean, I wrote some of these things out as possible ideas. Uh, one, two, and three about these this particular stuff we just talked about with the the and the verb yasha and the first fruits the 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 zono the first born of the of the flock. The third one was it is possible that Abel and this, we kind of touched on this just in what they would just receive from their parents. In, in storytelling, it is possible that Abel saw the sin within himself and brought an offering for sin before offering his grain. We know that sin was present already, nice. but it seems Cain was not acknowledging that. I think we see it in the in the attitude of Cain, but he, uh, uh, okay, so just just to jump on from that, though, you had mentioned his face yeah. fell. Yeah. The word that God uses here, uh, if you do well, you will be se'it or say eight, excuse me, which means elevated, dignified. It comes from NASA, which is to lift up to bury or to carry. That's the same one we got for, uh, it's the root word for Yohannisi, the Lord, Mm -hmm. my banner, you lift up the banner, right? So this word, uh, which is elevated or dignified, God says, if you do well, you'll be lifted up. But if you don't, sin is crouching down. It's lying down. Radabats. It's, It's crouching down in front of you. It's stretched out, (laughs) like it's stretched out in front of the door, like a doormat, waiting to trip you. Mm. Not maybe like a doormat, but like a cat on the doormat. (laughs) You go out in the dark, the cat's laying there. You don't know it. And then when you hear it scream, you you, you drop all your groceries. (laughs) Okay.
1: I I wrote that exact same thing down because I thought it was kind of cool. The contrast, his face fell, and then that about being lifted up. How, yeah the the opposite of a fallen face
0: it's neat too though that the lord says uh why are you why is your face down if you do right you'll be lifted up and he that's i didn't look there to see what form that is of the verb uh it's just set eight i don't i really can't tell you any form it looks very uh straight common it doesn't look like it's conjugated in a way I was thinking it would be conjugated and I was getting at is it uh uh, I can't remember the the English. It's a hifil form, meaning it receives the action of the verb. Are you going to feed the dogs, or are the dogs fed? Right. And, and the the feed and the fed are two different forms of it. And the fed is the heful form, meaning the dog is receiving the action of the verb, but it's the subject of the of the sentence.
1: Yeah.
0: Either way, I don't see that. I can't tell you. I see that in that verb there, but i was just wondering if because it looks like someone else is doing the uh, action of the verb. Hmm. If you do right, you will be lifted up.
1: Which is kind of what we talked about just a few minutes ago, verses 6 and 7, deal with that relationship God has. He's talking. Yeah. There's there's, yeah. No, there's no, you know. So, again, it might not be what, you know, the other way of Adam and Eve just assumed, well, God did this. So it makes sense if he covered us. No, God's having a conversation with you. He's telling you.
0: He's still working with Him.
1: Here's how to be right with me. Yeah. Here's how to make amends. Here, here's what you should do because you're in this fallen world right now. And so, you know, Kent and Abel obviously had some kind of instruction from God, I believe, yeah. based on here. And that's, that. why, that's why God says, why are well, you angry? If you do well, won't you be accepted? I mean, yeah. that almost seems like God's saying, I told you that you would be accepted if you did this. So why are you... So uh sin obviously uh the root word here means to miss the mark uh just God makes um a target and that's what we should aim for so he so here we find out God is the one that uh uh defines wrong defines good defines You're not evil You're talking about morals, are you? Yes. <laughs> well, that's another podcast. <laughs> But uh scripture wise, this guy here is defining uh what's wrong and that's just a amiss what he's already in. Actually he
0: defined it for his mom for the Cain's mom and dad. Now he's defining yeah. it for him. He seems to be defining it so far for every generation. Maybe that's something to consider.
1: Love our fetch. fetched that's another topic, maybe. <laughs> <That's far-fetched, huh? laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, just for a second, because I think we already spent time on it in Genesis three sixteen with the woman. Uh Sin's teshuka, it's desire, it's crave, is for you. It's looking to overtake you. And we talked about that some, but I don't know if we went into the root. The root is uh, pronounced shuk. It means to be abundant or to overflow. So sin's desire here is craving to overflow over the man. I kind of take it as sin wants to overwhelm him. (laughs) Uh, If you compare that back to Genesis 6, the woman wants to overwhelm the power of the man she wants to yeah. overpower him and, and steer him like a like the small rudder of a ship right it'll takes a little bit and you can get the ship going where you want it to go she she's trying to be that part
1: yeah
0: let's see i thought it was interesting that god says you must master it you must rule over it he wants to rule over you but you must rule over it and, and i found odd oddities in the grammar of different translations um Let's see. You must, my shall, you must rule. You must have dominion. You must reign over it. Most translations give the idea that you must rule over it. Some proclaim that you do rule over it like it's already done. That almost seems to feed a, uh, what's the uh, prosperity gospel? Name it and claim it. You already have power over sin. (laughs) <laughs> Why are you sitting on the ground crying? Uh, the JPS, the uh, Jewish Publication Society translation, says, yet you can be its master. It kind of I think that's a little more accurate as far as what I see elsewhere in the Bible, that God says, here's a situation. You have a choice. Yeah, it's, yeah. Your, it's your choice. You can do the right thing or you can not do the right thing. And you can be the master of sin if you want to. I'm, I'm showing you there is a way to get over the problem. But uh, let's see. Back in Genesis three sixteen, Mashal is also used.
1: I don't. I I looked uh, over the the Hebrew word "over," where it says "rule over it." Um, there's several definitions for that word. Um, one word that I see to me is interesting is "within your gates." Um, the reason why that definition of all these others is interesting to me is because God uses a metaphor. Here, which is different door? What Since, verse are you in there? Um, same verse, verse seven.
0: Verse seven,
1: where you must rule over it.
0: I do remember looking at something that was a door,
1: because sin's crouching at your door, God using a metaphor here, and um, to rule over it, um, yeah, within your gates. To me, it almost kind of makes sense where. Sin is trying to get inside you. It's trying to make its home in your town, in your life, within yeah. your gates, within your yeah. life. Um, you got to keep the door closed. You got to master, another other words, you know. It
0: may know where. I guess this is probably true too. I mean, we know this. If once I say this, we all know that the devil knows the way into your life. He knows how to tempt you. Yeah. He knows where your door is. He's just waiting right outside for you to open it. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 pretty neat. I do remember coming across uh, this door concept when I was studying. I don't know where it is in my notes, but since you're that's where that
1: Jesus says I'm the door. Yeah, and He's the way to life. So I mean, it's kind of like
0: in saying that He's the door. He also said that He was the uh, the, sh- the the good shepherd, and the shepherd we know lay at the door to keep their sheep in.
1: Yeah, oh, that's their good sheep point.
0: don't go out at night. He is there to guard who may come in at night. He's guarding his sheep.
1: That's a good so point. So,
0: if sin's crouching at your door and Jesus is your door,
1: you're fine. <laughs>
0: That's if, a good little if point. If he's not your door, you got problems. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Ready
1: to hit verse. verse are we on? Ready to hit verse eight?
0: Yeah, I have three words for notes for verse eight.
1: Okay, I have a few. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. We don't know what was said. And again, this I'm gonna bring up a little theory. It goes back to what we were just talking about. Um, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Um, again, just I don't believe this, but I'm I just like questioning things and raising thoughts. Uh, my my theory was, what did Cain ask him? And the thought I wrote down was, could could it be that Cain asked his brother? Hey, um, what's that? Yo, oh, man, what's going on, dude? Let's go <laughs> hang out over here.
0: Let's go out in the field and do something.
1: Well, out in the field, I tend to think is where Abel's shepherding, where his animals are. So my thought was maybe Cain was like, "Hey, can can I can you take me out there so I can get a lamb and offer oh, it to God?"
0: Oh. um, that's pretty good right there. So right? that
1: that was, I think, that's where that thought spurred on. Um, so. It was just an interesting little thought why they were going to the field, and the field is where Abel is working. So
0: that's that's pretty neat there. I haven't had to put that together. My my notes for verse eight were the first murder. <laughs> that that's good. That's good. <laughs> that, that's maybe the shortest notes I've ever, I've ever written on a verse. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, since since What's,
1: since he murdered Abel, I'll go ahead and share these uh things ahead. I wrote down. Um the one thought I thought was uh Cain's occupation could almost correspond to God's curse. Cain works the ground, yeah. God's curse is on the ground. Yeah. Um and uh New Testament authors talk about uh Cain and Abel in different points of view. Uh Jesus labels Abel as the first martyr, Matthew 23, 35, and Luke eleven fifty-one. 51. The author of Hebrews, which I personally believe is Paul, but that's debatable. The author of Hebrews, <laughs> I'll say, um, mentions that Abel is among the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one. That's because he was saved. Um <laughs> uh, he made the sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> um the author of Hebrews also says Abel lived by faith, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh <laughs> Hebrews 11:4. And the author of Hebrews also says Abel's blood, uh he compares it to Jesus's blood, uh Hebrews 12:24. John uh talks about Cain being of the evil one. Um 1 John chapter 3 verse 12, and Jude talks about and it talks about then of days, and talks about people the way of Cain, Jude eleven. Mm. So I just thought it was kind of interesting, just different takes on these two men. Where I mean, there's not a lot written about these two guys, but Jesus calls him the first martyr, was which is pretty you powerful statement.
0: You mentioning Abel being in the cloud of witnesses, or uh, excuse me, uh, in the hall of faith. Mm-hmm. So he is said to be living by faith. Mm-hmm. He had faith. He believed something. He must have been told something. We are just reinforcing that God was still speaking to man. Yeah. He still got relationship going on with him.
1: But those are some thoughts about Cain and Abel
0: that
1: Yep. Uh verse nine, I guess. <laughs> Move on. Uh then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. I am I my brother's keeper. Verse ten. And the Lord said, "What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground." Verse eleven, and now you are cursed from the ground which which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand.
0: Um, I want to point out, you know, very easily. You said just a second ago, the ground was cursed. Mm -hmm. Now Cain is working the ground, and now Cain is cursed. Cain himself is cursed now.
1: Yeah. Uh, Would you say verse nine, where? Cain says um his response to God is I don't know am I am I brother's keeper. Um first lie I believe.
0: Mm, right? I can go with that because uh well let's see. I mean, he does
1: know where Cain Abel is I mean, he does know, know
0: where he is. Adam and Eve came in guilt and shame. They came out to God when they were caught and said, This is why we were hiding. Yeah. They didn't lie. So I'm not the first lie though, because Satan already lied to Eve.
1: Yeah, well, it's the first human lie. Yeah, okay. It just talks about how sin takes you further. You know, there's an old saying: sin stays longer than you want it to stay, and takes you further than you want it to go, and costs costs you more than you're willing to pay. So here, yeah. we see sin is making its home in Cain. He lied. He killed first, and now he's lying to God. Um, yeah. Any see, verse 10. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to go too far past nine yet. Okay,
0: okay. I didn't want to interrupt you, but... No, you're fine. Go ahead. uh, So, I just thought, I was looking at questions. In chapter 3, God asks Adam, where are you? And who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? What have you done? So, he goes from where are you to what have you done? All these things we know God knows the answer to. And we always hear preachers question like, you know, so who? what's he asking for? Who's the benefit for?
1: Never.
0: He asks, Adam, where are, you? where are you? And Adam answers honestly as he knows how. He still has fear for God or he still has a love for God and now he realizes that relationship is about to change. In chapter four, he asks Cain, where is your brother? So here's a, another where question. And Cain has a real smart remark to him. And he either doesn't have fear for God or he doesn't really care this relationship's about to change because it doesn't exist anyway. His, his offering, his minka was just rejected. Yeah. So, I mean, he just jumps from where to what, where is your brother? What have you done? (laughs) I mean, he's, it's almost like, uh, Adam's giving him, uh, honest answers out of fear and shame and God keeps working with them. And it's kind of like we see Jesus working with, he he works with a person who comes up to him and asks him an answer or ask him a question, wanting an answer for something, and they're honestly a seeker. And Jesus takes the time to have this peaceful conversation with them. The Pharisees come up with them, and they, they, they're they trying to start something on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Jesus yeah. takes out the, the double-sided sword of his mouth and cuts into pieces and walks off. And he's like, oh, that's cold. Right. Because they were not seeking. They're just trying to start trouble. And yeah. right here, Cain has this, Yeah, yeah, he smarts back at him. Right. So God just cuts right to, "What have you done?" Hmm. But I looked at uh, the wheres through the Bible. So uh, let's see. I think I went through. Yeah, I just went through Genesis. Just, just some of the wheres and some of the questions that God asked in Genesis. In three nine, He asked, "Where are you?" In four nine, He asked, "Where's your brother?" In 16.8, he asked, I think this is Hagar. Hagar ran away from Sarah. And he says, where are you coming from and where are you going to? Then he asked in 18.9, I think to Abraham, where is your wife? So where are you? Where's your brother? Where are you coming from? Where are you going to? Where's your wife? So here's (laughs) here's the funny thing. God knows where you are. He knows where your brother is. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. He knows where your wife is. Why is he asking these things? It seems like God like doesn't know anything at all. <laughs> he knows everything. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess I thought that's what you're going to point out, though, is some of the disrespectfulness of Cain's answer. Of course, he does know, and he's lying. But I just thought it was kind of the whole thing just kind of hit me as strange, just to follow where, and that God asks where a whole life. I just look yeah. up where all the questions are from God. They're not from they're not from Abraham asking God where are we going. <laughs> yeah. And that would be one we think is very obvious. Right. So uh he tells Cain, If you if you only had a lamb, I would have accepted your your minka. Abel should say, Well, where do I get a lamb? <laughs> he doesn't though. Yeah. Right. So God's the one doing all the the where asking why and stuff. And Abraham says, I don't have a descendant. Where am I going to get one? He no, he doesn't say that. He says, God, are you going to do this or not? And he's like, Where's your wife? <laughs> It's kind of odd to me that God keeps asking where, 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 but it does also, this whole passage does point at, we know God puts it in the law in different places, different ways that our fellow man is our responsibility. And when Messiah fulfills the law, he puts on us a main command to love other people. And that means go out of your way, right. do things for them, sacrifice your time and your money, sacrifice, I mean, we all have opinions about this, about giving money to a homeless man, yeah. but you got to do something sometime. You can't always know what he's going to do with it, and you're not responsible 100% for what he chooses to do that might might have been wrong. you got to do something for him, though. If you don't want to give him money, uh, I've done this uh, a little while back. The Lord just showed me, don't feel guilty about not giving him money. Just take him to a restaurant right now. You say you yeah. want food, I'm going to get you food. I'm not going to give you free money that you can go buy. Alcohol with their cigarettes, which is what everybody's excuse is to not give the homeless guy money.
1: Even though the Bible tells you to help the homeless.
0: Exactly. Literally. Yeah. I mean,
1: it really doesn't matter. I mean,
0: yeah. It doesn't say check them out and make sure it's your business to know what they're going to do. Just, I mean, you got to be responsible with the sh- your stewardship. Yeah.
1: yeah. we kind of getting off a little. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I think of Jesus because, I mean, you know, Jesus did things that weren't very popular. I mean, for goodness sake, he, he's talking to a tax collector who the Jews hate. Yeah. He goes and eats with them, and then he says, "Hey, you want to follow me?" What I mean now, now you have a hated man who who was a Jew,
0: yeah,
1: who is hated among Jews, being following a rabbi. I mean, Jesus was—he just had a group of guys that, I mean, weren't liked. I mean, Jesus did some, you know, things, and it's not up to us to, you know, well, this. You know, I, I I used to do it to the homeless and 10 out of 10, they would, I would see them buy liquor or smoking up a cigarette or, or smoking up a joint or, or, you know, you know, whatever, or buying a prostitute, you know, whatever. And, you know, Jesus never, I'm sure the homeless people back then probably could have done some bad things, Jesus, steal,
0: thief. He, he chose Judas. It's, Just leave it right there.
1: He called him a friend too. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you know, like you said, it's it's not up to us to judge what they're going to do with it. The Bible just tells us to do it because when we do it, we're doing it to Jesus. When we go visit someone in prison, it doesn't mean Jesus. Jesus never said if the prisoner is seeking me or if the prisoner is, you know, knows God, he's a believer, a monkey. Yeah, and depending just, on what
0: kind of crime he you know, did and yeah. what law he broke, you can go see him or don't.
1: No, Jesus just says when you go visit a. Guy in prison, you're doing it to me. I mean, it's it's literal. It's pretty simple. So we can't always— I think in the
0: church we would take that and twist it around to say, if that guy was put in jail because he was a Christian pastor and was against the law to speak out on the street, we should go visit that pastor in jail. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's how we would twist it around and and justify (laughs) ourselves not going to see the guy who actually broke a a law of the land.
1: I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't want us to go to visit homeless and give them food and go visit people in jail. That's kind of crazy talk. You got any money? Just joking. Uh, Back back to Genesis. Sorry, we got a little tangent. Uh, Are you? Uh, Hold just a second.
0: Okay, I want to look at this uh, brother's keeper idea. Okay, not the tone of it, but just literally following the word for a minute. Cain asked God, "Am I my brother's Shemar? Am I his keeper?" In Genesis two fifteen, God gave the garden to Shemar. He gave he gave the man the garden to Shemar. He gave it to Adam and Eve to watch over, to keep it, to guard it. Man rejected the responsibility. God drove him out and gave the garden to the cherubim, to Shemar. We were given this responsibility of the land. Here we go back with the land and the people again, which we said, you know, last podcast we pointed out that mankind as a whole is kind of God's bride and that there was this land and bride Established, and that we gave them both up. We gave the relationship with God and relationship to the land both, in our one decision of disobedience. So, God gives the land to His bride, that being mankind, to Shemar to watch over. We rejected the responsibility by sinning. We gave it all up, and God drove us out and gave that responsibility to Shemar to guard the garden, to watch over it, to keep it. Gave it to some cherubim to keep us out. And then God gives the responsibility to watch over and keep our brother too, and man is now here rejecting that responsibility.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what does God do next?
1: Well, let me let me backtrack just on what you said earlier. Um, just throwing out where you talked about how God's always asking the question where, and obviously He knows as far as location where we are and where we are spiritually and our thinking and all that. Yeah, I tend to think whenever God asks questions, He he, I mean, he puts the response on us.
0: Yeah, the choice. How, 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 are
1: you to, yeah, how are you going to respond? Yeah. I know what's going to happen, but I'm wanting to see how you're going to do it. Yeah. But, I mean, I think we'll get more into that with Abraham.
0: I was fixing to but, jump to Abraham, my next word.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> Shoot.
0: <laughs> well, just, just breaking off of <laughs> Shemar, which is to keep. So God gives the garden to man to keep it. Man rejects the responsibility. God drives us out and gives a responsibility to to angels to to keep us out. Then God gives us the responsibility to watch over our brother to keep him, take care of him. Man rejecting that responsibility, what does God do next? If you follow Shemar, He goes to Abraham and he says, "Here's this covenant I want you to keep, <laughs> <laughs> so God doesn't give up. He keeps pursuing us and He keeps yeah. pursuing us, and he keeps pursuing us. He keeps wanting us to to keep something. It's like I try to give you the whole planet you You, you didn't want that." I'm trying to give you responsibility to take care of your your fellow humans. You don't want that. So I'm gonna make this covenant with you that uh you'll probably not keep either. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I do not keep trying.
0: Yeah, but I'm keeping trying after all. Yeah. So after asking uh let's see, that's the same. After asking where God cut, straight to the what have you done? That's verse ten. Well, verse
1: verse ten. Um the word done can mean to make or manufacturer dealing with work and what, what you have created. Um, you know, I think of an underlining question, not what just have you done, but, um, looking at the word done almost God saying, what have you created? And the underlining theme is sin. You've created this continuous sin that I'm trying to yeah. stop. Adam and Eve have right relationship with me. It seems like, and everything's going good. They're you know, I'm talking to them, we're having sacrifices, things, and here you are creating more sin, creating more of a problem. More of a problem. Um yeah. And not that it's a big deal, but the word <laughs> voice also means message. So uh the message of your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's just
1: cool. anyway, just a couple of notes that i I looked
0: up. at uh blood just a moment. Blood is dumb. Just like or damn. Depends on which uh, which value you put there. Dam comes from demem, meaning to be silent or to be still. Or it's also close to dema, meaning to cease. So if you take the if you, if you let the blood the dam out of Adam, he will become demam or dema. He'll become silent. He'll cease to be. The blood
1: is the life. We're going to pause uh, this week and and continue part two of talking about Genesis chapter four next week. I just want to say thank you for listening to David and I and our podcast and just us allowing us to share our thoughts um, as we go through the Bible. And I hope you're reading and studying and um, even marking notes or thoughts that you have yourself, because it's important for you to get in the word yourself and figure out what the Holy Spirit's teaching you or talking to you about and. We hope that we challenge you. We hope that um, we're making you think. And again, we thank you so much. uh, If you're not subscribed, don't forget to subscribe to us and share the word. We'll see you next week.